We're going to kick it off reading some scripture together. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I think I'm not as tall as those guys apparently. 1 Corinthians 9, 19. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. Verse 21. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. Verse 22. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that, so that by all means possible I might save some. I do all of this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Now that's kind of a tongue twister, so let me summarize it for you. Paul did whatever it took for the gospel. And so this past Sunday, Easter Sunday, the whole theme, we released a song, Whatever It Takes. That's going to be one of the driving forces for our church is that we are a church that does whatever it takes for the gospel, whatever it takes to reach our community, whatever it takes to reach our neighbors, whatever it takes to reach people for Jesus Christ. That is how we as Cottonwood Creek want to be known as a church. And I am sure that you would probably echo the same prayers for your personal life, that you want to be known as a man who is willing to do whatever it takes for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to tell you a story. When I think of that phrase, doing whatever it takes for the gospel, there is one man that has influenced my life that I immediately think of when I hear of someone who does whatever it takes for the gospel. This guy's name is Dave Votberg. And um, I've, pro- I've told stories about him before. His, we called him Skater Dave. So let me give you a visual of Dave Votberg, Skater Dave. He was a professional skateboarder, okay? So you probably already got some visual going in your, like the skinny jeans, holes in his jeans. That's right. He had long, kind of unclean hair, okay? You, you tracking? He had the weird flat bill hat that, that doesn't really, sh- should be called a hat. I don't know what those things are. He, he kind of wore some more beat up clothes, kind of always walked everywhere holding a skateboard with a little limp from all the falls. Okay, so y'all are, y'all are visualizing this guy with me. So this is Skater Dave. He had a, he had a tattoo on his arm of Jesus' face, and it said, rescue is coming. This guy did whatever it took for the gospel. He was, like I mentioned, a professional skateboarder, and he actually joined up with a ministry of other Christian skateboarders, and they started this pro-skateboard ministry that grew to become nationwide. Now, at the time, he was based in Michigan, and he spent his days at skate parks telling kids and anyone that was there about the gospel of Jesus Christ. This guy made such a profound impact on my life. I'll never forget. He became an intern at the church that I was attending, which I lived in Flower Mound, Texas, just white suburbs, very similar to a McKinney Allen. And here is this intern that just kind of looks somewhat homeless, to be honest. And he kind of looks out of place. But man, he loved the Lord. And so I'm a senior, and Dave rolls up in this old, beat-up car to youth group. And where we were meeting for youth group, the parking lot wasn't super level, but at least they had a parking lot. 
And that was a shot at Scott, but he's not here. Um, <laughs> he had this old beat up car and it wasn't very level. And so as he would drive through the parking lot, the bottom, the backside of his car kept bottling at bottoming out and just sparks would fly. And he parked and we're just watching him struggle through the parking lot. We're like, Dave, what is in your trunk? Why does your car keep bottoming out in this parking lot? And he's like, come see. And all of us were kind of like hesitant because, you know, we're still trying to get to know this guy. He looks a little sketchy. We know he loves the Lord, but we're not sure what's in this trunk. So he brings us over. His trunk was filled with ESV paperback Bibles. He goes, I buy all these Bibles because whenever I share the gospel, I, I need something to be able to hand out to people. Another time, Dave, um, so this is when I was a freshman in college. He says, hey, Chase, you want to go hang out uh, in Dallas tonight? Yeah, that sounds fun. I'm a freshman in college. I get to go hang out with a church intern. Like, surely we won't get in that much trouble. So he says, all right, meet me, meet me at the church, and, and I'll drive in his janky car. I'm like, you sure you don't want me to drive, Dave? He's like, no, 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 I got it, I got it. I'm like, okay. So he picks me up. We get in the car. Dave, what are we going to do tonight? He goes, well, we're going to go evangelize to the homeless. I'm like, we're going to evangelize. To, like, and immediately I begin to panic. I'm a new believer. I became a believer at 17 years old. I'm like, Dave, I don't, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to share my faith. I, like, I just became a Christian. He's like, it's all right. I'll teach you. And so here I am sweating all the way down to downtown Dallas, not because I was nervous, but because there was no AC in his car. We get to downtown Dallas. We pull up to a McDonald's parking lot. And he goes, how much money you got? I'm like, what do you mean how much money do I got? I already ate. I, I'm, like, I'm just nervous. Like, I don't need to eat McDonald's. I'll just throw it up everywhere. He goes, no, no, no it's not for us. He goes, I want to go buy hamburgers, and then we're going to walk the streets of downtown Dallas and pass out burgers and use that to, to start conversations and share the gospel. So we collectively come up with 20, 30 bucks and buy 50 hamburgers, whatever it worked out to be, from McDonald's. And we walk around, I'm talking like Martin Luther King Boulevard, walk around downtown Dallas with these greasy sacks of hamburgers. And we come up to our first person and my heart is pounding. Dave just looks over to me, he says, hey, just pray. Don't, don't worry about saying anything, just pray. And so he just strikes up a conversation so naturally with him, offers the person a hamburger, and I'm just sitting there praying in the back of my head, listening to Dave. And we share the gospel with him. We move on to the next person, same situation. And then we're walking up to someone. He goes, your turn. And I learned to share the gospel that night because of Dave Boatberg, because of his faithfulness. This guy... That was how he spent his Friday nights, was walking the streets of Dallas with bags of hamburgers, passing them out to share the gospel. Dave also would spend his summers in his apartment in Texas with no air conditioning. Why in the world would he not use air conditioning? It wasn't broken. It was because he wanted to be able to save money so that he can buy more of those Bibles that loaded down the back of his old beat-up car. And it was because he wanted to use that money to be able to buy more hamburgers to pass out to the homeless so that he could share the gospel with more people. Guys, this is like real. This is this guy. Like he, I've never seen anyone do whatever it took 
for the gospel. He forsook air conditioning in the middle of Texas summer so that he could do whatever it took for the gospel. Dave, among many other faithful men of God, inspired me and compels me even to this day to do whatever it takes for the gospel. And I pray that you guys have someone in your life that has inspired you the way that Dave has inspired me. Now, before we get too charged to go take whatever donuts are left to the homeless and go evangelize and pack up the Bible study, I want to I want to get to my main point for this morning. Are we willing as men to do whatever it takes for the gospel within our own family? You know, we talk about uh, passing out food to the homeless. We, we partner with Hill House and we do all the mission projects and we, we help, we give blood and we go to the North Texas Food Bank and we do all of these amazing humanitarian things and children's ministry calls and says, we need a volunteer. And you're like, there, you're there, the first one to sign up. Children, student ministry calls, says, we need a host home for D now. And you're like, sign me up. And you're, you're constantly doing all of these things for the church. You're doing all of these things for the gospel but are you overlooking your family? And so that is what I want to bring to the table today. And now when I'm talking about family, I'm not just talking about children. I'm talking about the grandchildren. I'm talking about your spouse. I'm talking about your your children. I'm talking about your nieces and nephews. I'm talking about the next generation. I'm talking about your parents if they are still living. I'm talking about those around you. Now, I work with students, and so naturally, I, I am thinking about the next generation. This next generation is known as Generation Z. People that fit in the category of Generation Z is 1997, this is when they were born, 1997 to 2015. So to translate that, people that are 6 to 24 years old are considered Generation Z. Now, I don't know if you guys have read any research about Generation Z, but they are the first post-Christian generation in all of history. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean that they're the first post-Christian generation? Well, a recent Barna research said that the percentage of atheists in Generation Z is twice as many as adult atheists. In one generation, they have doubled the amount of atheists of adults. To Generation Z, atheist is no longer a dirty word. Religion is so on the decline in Generation Z that it is more normal to not have a religious preference than to just even call yourself a Christian or whatever it may be. And this is what our culture is promoting. This is what social media, this is what all the agendas are promoting is this rise of the religious nun, N-O-N-E, not having an affiliation with religion. And so that makes me ask the question, are we willing to do whatever it takes for the gospel within our family, especially thinking of the next generation? And now God was not, is not shocked by what culture is doing because the children of God have experienced a culture like this before. There might not have been the social media accounts, but there have been other 
very uh, secular and pagan influences that have affected our generations. And so this morning, I want to read Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. This passage of Scripture is known as the Shema. It is one of the foundational Scriptures when it comes to us teaching and inscribing the ways of God onto the next generation, but also into our homes, into our spouses, into our grandchildren, into our parents. Let's read it together. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at your home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now let me give you some context of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy was uh, written when the children, or excuse me, excuse me, hold on, back up here. Let me give you context of the nation of Israel. The children of God, if you remember, fell into slavery in Egypt. And their oppression from Egypt became so severe that the Lord used Moses to deliver them. You might remember the stories of the plagues against Egypt, and then the parting of the Red Sea, and then as the nation of Israel departs through the Red Sea, they go through years of wandering in the wilderness. And they had to wander through the wilderness because of their unfaithfulness to God. And so now, here we are at the end of Numbers and the beginning of Deuteronomy, and Israel is back on the edge of the Promised Land. You see, this generation, the the parents, the grandparents, the children, they had been in Egypt. They had been in a pagan culture, worshiping pagan gods, and now they had been wandering through the wilderness for 40 years, and here they are on the edge of the promised land, ready to enter. And Moses says, hey, we need to take a pause, and we need to remember God's law. We need to remember God's way. And so the book titled Deuteronomy, that word Deuteronomy actually means second law or repetition of the law. Because if you remember, the law was given in Exodus. But here's Moses knowing that people are prone to forget, and so he's reminding them of the ways of God. And it's necessary for that remembrance because these generations, the grandparents to the grandchildren, they had been so indoctrinated by the culture. They had been so indoctrinated by Egypt that they needed to learn how to forget Egyptian way and set their minds on God's way, especially before they're about to enter into the promised land. And in Deuteronomy, it's important to note that Moses didn't say, take your children to the youth pastor, because the youth pastor is the one that's going to remind them of the law. He says to the parents and to the grandparents, impress them on your children when you walk by the way, when you sit in your house, when you lie down, when you rise. Teach your children. Teach the next generation. I want to reread verse 6 and 7. 
Moses says, these commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts and then impress them on your children. Now, I I, I do not want to get entangled in the ways of culture today, but our teens are quickly subscribing to the teachings of the world. Quickly. Our kids growing up in church are quickly subscribing to the ways of the world. So, here is what we must do. We must do whatever it takes for the gospel to flourish in our families. How? How do we actually do Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9? Now, let me tell you this it is not just an appointment on your calendar. It's not you sitting down with your spouse and saying, hey, on Sunday night at 6 o'clock, I expect you to play a hymn on the piano and then I'm going to preach to you a five-point sermon. That's, that's, that's great if you do that, but that's not the only way to disciple your family. It's not with your kids forcing them saying, hey, you have to go to church Sunday morning because that's, that's the only time that you're going to hear God's Word taught. That's not it. Moses laid out an entirely different strategy. It wasn't so much put an appointment on the calendar. It was more so as you're picking kids up from school and Ubering them to their soccer practice. It was more like when you sit down with your spouse and open up the mail and see an unexpected bill come through that you just don't know how you're going to pay. So thinking about our kids, um, my oldest is four and a half. So if you know anything about four-and-a-half-year-olds, things they say can be kind of shocking at times. So the other day, my four-and-a-half-year-old came from school, and he says, Dad, Ian told me that he killed his sister this morning. Really? Who's Ian? He's in my class. Really? Is his sister okay? Yeah, I think she's okay. Clearly, there's a misunderstanding of what killing someone means. But so here's, in that moment, I have, I have two options. I can either just tell him, buddy, we don't talk about killing people and just move on with my day. Or in that moment, I can teach him that we, are, shall, not, we shall not murder people. The sixth commandment. And in that moment, I got to teach him about what it means to be an image bearer of God. And that's why we don't murder people. And so we got to talk about how everyone has value that has been given by God, that it's not just our skin color that gives us value. It's just not the way we look. It's not how much money we have, but it is the fact that God has made us in the image of God. And so that is a Deuteronomy 6 moment. Think about with your teens. You, follow, you, you let them have a social media account and you follow them to make sure you know what they're posting and stuff like that. And you notice that your teen posted something in support of the LGBTQ plus XYZ ABC movement. And so in that moment, you can barge into the room and yell at them to delete that post and that they should never do that again and then get on with your day. Or you can see that as a Deuteronomy 6 moment and teach them God's design for sexuality and why that is wrong and actually sinful according to God's Word. Do you see the difference between capitalizing on these Deuteronomy 6 moments as we go, not just an appointment on the calendar, but as we go with your spouse, 
like I mentioned, the bills are piling up and you just don't know how you're going to pay for everything. And in that moment when there's kind of the mutual panic and you see the worry in your spouse's eyes, as you sit in your homes, you can reflect on 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. And you can wash your spouse with the Word of God in that very moment. Some of you are grandparents. When I think of faithful grandparents in the Bible, I think of Timothy's grandmother. In 2 Timothy 1, 5, it says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Grandparents, your primary role is not just to buy treats and trinkets and toys for your grandchildren. <laughs> What'd you say? Yes, that's right. What legacy are you passing down to your grandchildren? Is it, is it just the trinkets and the toys? Or are you investing into the next generation with your faith? Are you doing whatever it takes for the gospel within your own family? Lastly, what I want to say, like Moses mentioned, that it, uh, it needs to be in your heart. These commandments I give to you today need to be on your heart and then impress them on your children. What kind of faith are you modeling to your family? Are you practicing the spiritual habits of Scripture and prayer and meditation and fasting and, and attending church? And Are you in community with groups? Are you modeling these things? Because it starts in your heart before it can be translated to the hearts of your spouse and your grandchildren and your children and your, your moms and your dads and your aunts and your uncles and your cousins and your relatives. It has to start in your own heart. The words from Moses in Deuteronomy 6 are as important today as they were to the children of God before they were about to walk into the promised land. Christianity, as I'm sure most of you know, is rapidly declining in America. Just uh, last week, Gallup Research puts out that for the first time in eight decades, those who belong to a church, a synagogue, or even a mosque is below 50%. So what that tells us is just religion is on the decline in America and it's God's design for those numbers to be reversed starting in the home. Guys, here at Cottonwood Creek, we are going to do whatever it takes for the gospel to flourish. But here's the reality. I get to be with your kids maybe an hour, two hours a week. John Mark gets to be with you for what? Two hours a week? There's about 84 hours in a week that we are awake and doing things. Two hours versus the 82 hours. The pastor does not have a loud enough voice to be able to influence all 84 hours of your week. It starts with us. It starts with you. You need to fill those 82 hours with a fear and a reverence and a pursuit of God. 
our children, specifically Generation Z, our 6 to 24-year-olds, are post-Christian, and they are growing up in Egypt. They're growing up with these pagan gods. They're growing up with pagan culture and false beliefs and fake news. And so we must be reminded of God's law ourselves and then impress them on our children and talk about them as we sit, as we walk, as we lie down, when we get up. We need to be doing whatever it takes for the gospel in our homes. Now, over the next several, I think seven weeks, we're carrying the theme of whatever it takes. And guys, we are going to challenge you. Do whatever it takes for the gospel in your workplace. Do whatever it takes for the gospel in your community. Do whatever it takes for the gospel here at the church by serving and getting involved and and signing up for VBS and D-Now and on Sunday mornings with children. And we are going to be pressing you to be faithful servants for the kingdom of God. But what I wanted to do this morning is I want to remind you that it needs to start in your homes and then overflow out of your homes. Do not overlook your spouse. Do not overlook your children. Do not look overlook your grandchildren because this is God's design for discipleship. This morning I was praying for you guys and this was my prayer. I pray that you all would become a Dave Votberg to someone else. Let's pray. God, we love you so much. We thank you, God, that we have your truth. We thank you that we have your word We thank you, Lord, for your many blessings to us, for our salvation, for the gift of your son, Jesus. But Lord, I pray that this morning that we would be reminded of your law, of your ways, of your truth. I pray that we would be inspired to do whatever it takes for your gospel. But Lord, I pray that we would never overlook our own homes. And Lord, if if we have, forgive us. May we start today investing into our wives, our children, our grandchildren, our aunts, uncles, cousins. Lord, help us to do whatever it takes for the gospel, and may it overflow from our homes into the community, and may all these men listening be as influential to someone else as Dave Votberg was to me. We love you, God. It's in your son's name, by the Spirit we pray. Amen. Amen.